0: the five minute theory podcast bite-sized chunks of theory goodness to help you pass your theory test first time Welcome to the Five Minute Theory Podcast. As always, I am your splendid host, Terry Cook of TC Drive, and I'm delighted that you have chosen to listen to us today. On today's episode, I am joined by a very special guest, Chris Benston, who is a fellow driving instructor and also helps people who struggle with their theory with one to one training sessions. And in this special extended edition of the Five Minute Theory Podcast, we are covering the highway code changes. Now, you may have seen a lot about these on various different social media and reported inaccurately in a lot of cases by journalists and newspapers Um, but we are diving into it today in the special extended edition looking at what the highway code changes are and how they affect us, do they affect us and what we can actually do to mitigate them and what we should be doing. So you can expect some more of these special extended editions coming up throughout this season. But if there's anything you'd like me to cover, make sure you get in touch. Your best place to find me is Facebook. That's TC Drive on Facebook. Or you can find me on all the social media. And you can find links, as always, in the show notes. But let's crack on with today's show. So I am now joined by Chris Benstead of both the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective and Better Driving. How are you today, Chris?
1: I'm I'm good, thank you. Better Driver Training.
0: Better Driver Training. So uh, yes. Just
1: explained.
0: How long have uh, How long have you been teaching learners for?
1: Um, it's uh, been a good while. Uh, 14 years.
0: Excellent. And you said uh, you spoke there as well about theory. Theory. What's that one? Theory's explained.
1: Theory test explained.
0: Theory test explained. Uh, you actually came on to season two of the show and gave some uh, wonderful tips on helping people pass a theory and driving test then. So uh, it's good to have you back and I'm delighted that you joined us as we uh, we break down some of these uh, significant changes in the highway code and see if you can bust a few myths at the same time. Are you ready to rumble?
1: Yes, it's significantly uh, insignificant.
0: Excellent. Now, what I will say before we start is uh, Chris is, as we're recording this, currently in the process of creating some amazing videos that I've had a sneak peek at, uh, and they will be available as this episode goes out, and there will be links in the show notes and on social media, all that kind of stuff. And I will also throw this out it, um if you like what you're hearing from Chris today, feel free to get in touch with him and chase him up for any fairy training as well. But regarding the highway code changes... I would say the biggest thing and the biggest reason behind these changes is what we call the hierarchy of road users. But before we dive into that, would you agree with that on, office? Yes. It's
1: yeah. the structure that's changing and the importance of that structure. That's, yeah. that's
0: it. Yeah. So that, that hierarchy is all based around prioritising the more vulnerable road user. So.
1: I think the first thing is what's a hierarchy is the question that I've been asked so many times. Um, And, yeah, I I think that that has has caused people more of a concern than the Highway Code itself. Um, And it is a structure in which um, you have one thing on top of the other, ends up forming a pyramid. And the thing at the top is the most important. Um, And then you work your way down the hierarchy. So, yeah, I think it's another one of these words where, you know, DVSA aren't necessarily speaking the same language as as uh, you know young people today, at least, if not all of us.
0: And that's exactly why I got you on to point out these ones, because uh, you deal with this every day, don't you, with uh, what you are doing? Um, so who's at the top of the hierarchy?
1: So it, we've got the, it's soft and squishy at the top. Um, so it's the pedestrians at the top, followed by the cyclists. And they're the, the really big changes, I think um are the ones surrounding those horse riders then come in and i think got a bit of a raw deal actually um you know they they've been ignored and there's been a lot of important stuff about horse riding coming through but we're really looking at the ones we see the most you know, there's not often that you see uh comparatively to uh cyclists horse riders around depending on where you live um so yeah start starting off with the the soft squishy pedestrians
0: yeah, And then working your way through to cars, vans, and, and lorries and so on. Um, with the that that hierarchy, that that triangle, um, from my understanding, from what I can gather, is the the way it is, we're trying to get the people that can do the most danger. For example, the lorries. If a lorry hits you, it's going to probably have more of an impact than a cyclist. So we try to get those people driving the lorries to almost take more care and look after those more vulnerable. And from part of what that is. If a cyclist, for example, was to hit a pedestrian, and a lorry was to hit a pedestrian, the lorry driver is more culpable and receive bigger penalties, such as fines and jail time, or whatever the, the penalty may be. The same offence would actually result in more punishment for the people that are uh, like, that sort of lower down that hi- hierarchy, if you like.
1: Yeah, it's definitely weighted in that way. Um, you know, the the more damage you can do, the the more you know you you, you can be punished for it. Um, that doesn't mean that cyclists can go around running people over. Yep. They still can be punished in in the same way, but it's making people responsible for the the lump of metal that they're in charge of. And the bigger that lump of metal is, the more more weight there is, and and therefore more more penalties.
0: I should also say at the minute that we are going to be discussing facts on this, not necessarily opinions, uh, and looking at busting a few miss, because one thing I, I keep reading online and seeing on Facebook and so on is people saying that cyclists will just be turning in front of cars um, or pedestrians will just be stepping out thinking, well, if they hit me, I get away with it. I don't think that's necessarily the case. You know, even as a pedestrian, if you do something wrong, if you just step out in front of a car, you still have responsibility there. But not only that, you know, don't step out in front of a car because if a car hits you, that's not pleasant. So I think that when we're looking at the facts of it, we are basically what these designs do, and we're going to go through some of the specific changes in a moment, what these are all based around doing is protecting the people that are more vulnerable. And when you look at it from a factual standpoint, that's probably a good thing.
1: Yes, so yeah, definitely. definitely.
0: Um, so looking into some of these changes, I think we'll uh, speak about possibly the most controversial one so far, and I'm going to see if I can phrase this correctly. If you are driving down the road and you are taking a left turn, if there's a pedestrian waiting to cross, you will need to stop to allow that pedestrian to cross the road
1: correct oh, or if you're emerging from the road as well but i think we're more concerned about the faster road yeah and the main road uh, because you've got traffic behind you that's not expecting you to stop whereas if you're in if you're exiting a road you're you're at the front of the queue you're in charge to some extent so it's much more expected um you know i, I think that it's that control of traffic behind you that's where the risk is coming from whether we stop or not not such a problem but if other people know what we're doing that's the
0: thing definitely i mean when when, uh if you're a learner driver or a driver but we're on driving lessons one of the things that we'll talk about a lot is is planning for the cars behind as well as the cars in front so if you're approaching that left turn and you can't see what's around there we should be slowing down anyway now when you start slowing down if you start using your brake your brake lights are going to come on that's all giving and when you signal as well when you signal generally the car behind is going to have a big clue you're going to slow down because generally you're going to have to slow down to make a turn so by using your indicators whether it's your, your actual signal indicator whether it's your brake light uh, and even your positioning the road you're giving the cars behind clues as to what you're going to do so then those cars behind should in turn be slowing down now as you mentioned they, they may not Um, So we also have to accommodate that because when we're approaching those junctions, whether it's an approach or an emerge junction, we should be checking behind and checking for that car. And if that car is really close to you, you'd probably start slowing down earlier anyway so even in those situations as much of uh, as hullabaloo there is online about all this i never thought i'd say that word on the podcast um there's all that uh, all the stuff online about this um we can actually mitigate a lot of this stuff but the basic premise of it is that if like you said when we're turning left even at an approach or an merge junction we should be stopping if there's someone waiting to cross the road now my understanding is if they're walking towards the kerb that doesn't apply. It's only if they stood waiting. Does that sound right?
1: It, yes, that's my interpretation as well. But then my concern is you end up in a bit of a mind-reading situation because if they're walking, the way they stand waiting is to walk towards it. And the best example, actually, um, and something, something else that's changed a bit, is zebra crossings. I think we've all seen, when you've been on the road for a while, the a situation where you have someone having a chat and they're not actually waiting to cross. Um, They've stopped in a really inconvenient place um, and they look like they're waiting to cross. So you go towards it and you're like, are you? Aren't you? Actually, that's the same thing as you're you're saying, Terry, about slowing down and slowing the traffic down. You're taking the, the pressure out of the situation, the risk out, because you're controlling it and slower is safer um, in the majority of cases. I think there, there's exceptions um, that are worth mentioning motorways, faster dual carriageways, you know relative to other cars you want to be going the same kind of speed. but in a situation where you've got the soft squishy stuff, um, that yeah, it's it slower is safer. So I think that confusion that might be caused, um is actually probably going to help and again the key is going to be slow down if you're not sure go slower
0: i think the other thing i just want to sort of touch on there we spoke about talking about the facts this is a, a rule change it's a law it's coming into effect in the within the highway code so whether we agree with it or not we should be following it you know something that i talk about a lot is how do we choose which law we break you know we decide consciously or subconsciously, this is a 30 zone. I think it's okay to do a 35, but the law says you shouldn't. So you're consciously making a decision to break that law in the same way here. If you're consciously making a decision to break the law of, I'm not going to stop for this pedestrian, if they step out and get run over, that's their fault. We These are the, the, the rules and guidelines that have been set down, and, and we need to follow those.
1: I think that the, the guidance of, of angle as well is that it's then open to situational interpretation, which is what we do as drivers. It's what learner drivers learn. It's what experienced drivers um, make use of of their history and their knowledge of what they've been, been through before. And we are constantly making that choice based on the situation. So when you look at a rule that's written down, and uh, when we were chatting you did the same thing you said at the end of my road and I was like <laughs> round the corner from my house and you think about the one you know and actually the rules got to fit all of them and when you're there everything is situationally dependent so you know it, it's there's, there's always going to be lots of what ifs and angles and actually when it when it's in the moment and you see it you'll have put in things, if, if it's too late, you've probably started too late to deal with it. Um, You know, start earlier, slowing it down, all of those things.
0: Yeah, I mean, we can always find an extreme example of why we should do something, an extreme example of why we shouldn't do something, but what we need to look for is that big bulk in the middle. Okay, so that's dealing with uh, pedestrians that are waiting to cross as we're turning left on start Road. Probably the most controversial one and the one you've heard the most about, but hopefully... After we've explained it there, that makes a bit more sense. And you can just go and follow the rules rather than um, overruling them and running over pedestrians. But uh, we're now going to move on and look at cyclists because there have been a few changes around uh, cyclists as well, based around priorities and positions. So, um, first of all, the one that springs to mind is cyclist don't necessarily have to use their cycle lanes now that doesn't necessarily affect you as a driver and you would do anything different but it's something to be aware of so chris why might cyclists not have to use their cycle lanes
1: have you seen the roads uh, potholes drain covers that haven't been repaired um also drivers so if you're following a, a cyclist and they're tucked in at the side of the road, it might encourage you to kind of squeeze past, um, which then increases their risk. So I, I keep likening this to martial arts. Anyone who's, who's done anything to do with martial arts will know that if you're being attacked, you make space. Because if you've got space to move, you've got space to defend yourself. Um, so you get you know Jackie Chan swinging the stick around to, to push everyone back. So we can deal with them one at a time. And that's the same kind of thing with cyclists. It's about taking what they call the primary position, which is the centre of the lane, and having that space around them and equally having two, two abreast, two of them there in that position, because it then gives gives them a sense of space. Animals do it, they make themselves look bigger and they puff themselves up to be less threatened or to appear more threatening. Um, and i'm not saying cyclists should be threatening but it's that same kind of thing of saying don't mess with me i'm in this gate in this gap in this space um so yeah that that's the reasoning for it is for for moving them away from that cycle lane which is a lovely designated space but if you're pushed to the side all the time you're going to be at risk
0: yeah and you know, when, you, uh, when you're when you studying for your theory, so whether you're doing a course or using the, the wonderful apps that are out there or um, whatever it is around the theory, even reading the Highway Code, it advises you to give at least 1.5 metres around cyclists because part of the reason is they may have to move out from the side of the road because... As a car driver, if we go through a pothole, yeah, it's not pleasant, but it's not going to cause a massive problem. Whereas a cyclist hits a big pothole, they're probably coming off their bike. So they're going to have to move. That's one of the reasons why it gives cyclists a lot of space. But you mentioned there as well about cyclists taking a position in the middle of the lane. That's one of the things that's been noted in these highway code changes as well. And I think the idea behind that is it's preventing those cars from turning left in front of cyclists. Now, oddly as I'm talking about this today, this is exactly what I saw yesterday. Now admittedly slow moving traffic, but there was a cyclist coming down their lane, uh, their cycle lane, and the car in front of me turned immediately across in front of it. Now, thankfully the cyclist was able to stop just before I think they actually predicted what they were going to do, even though the car didn't indicate, which was helpful. Um, But, I think that's where part of this position stuff comes from. If you can, as a cyclist, if you position in the middle of the lane, that's going to stop people turning in front of you, uh, turning left in front of you. So that was one of the other rules as well. Anything to add on that, Chris, around the positioning in the lanes on cyclists?
1: Yeah, I, I think the thing we have to remember as car drivers is that they're not just trying to be annoying. They're not in your way. They're another road user. I was going to say we're all equal, but actually now we're not. They're more important than, than the car driver um, in the hierarchy of, of things. But um, you know, we're all trying to do the same job. We're all trying to get somewhere. They're not being deliberately difficult. So firstly, don't feel pushed to overtake them if it's not safe to. You know, Treat them with that respect. And secondly, don't get stressed with them. Um, you know most good cyclists are are really good at monitoring the traffic and if there's an opportunity giving you space to continue because they don't want you growling up behind them Um, so I I think just you know again with the risk of moving away from the hierarchy towards balance between different road users um, I think we can all respect each other and, and, and it's important to remember and just yeah it's very easy to get annoyed or feel pressured and then do something that's not safe The whole purpose of all of these changes is about improving safety, and each of us has a responsibility for doing that.
0: Yeah, and I think you're completely right. It comes down to that attitude and that mindset. In you know, really, when we get stuck, and I use the word carefully, stuck behind a cyclist, it's not often we're there for more than a few minutes. It's I can't remember a time when I've been stuck behind a cyclist for more than five minutes, off top the top of my head. I'm sure it happens now and again on country roads, but it's not often, so is two or three minutes onto your journey really that bad to keep someone else safe? And you know, even if you look at it from the flip side, when you you know you see cyclists in town centres, I get jealous of them. You know, I'm stuck in a queue of traffic, breathing smoke, you know, exhaust fumes, and then you get a cyclist comes past me that gets a ten minutes earlier than I do because they don't have to sit in a queue of traffic. You know, I think that if we can shift our mindset a little bit to. Reflecting this hierarchy of users, and think, actually, do you know what? If I hit this cyclist, I'll get a scratch on my car. They're potentially in hospital or worse. I think that's what all this is about. And I mentioned the left turns there as well. That's specifically mentioned, uh, left and right turns, specifically mentioned the highway code. It, it mentions this time that you must give way to cyclists turning left, that they take priority. It wasn't mentioned in the highway code before, but it's still what we did. You know, if you're a driver turning left and there's a cyclist next to you, you couldn't turn because you would hit them. So you would have to hold back like the cyclist turn and then you turn. So nothing's changed there. It's just they've actually put it in there now, whereas before we just use common sense. Um, But yeah, massively agree what you're saying there about um, sort of mindset and attitude. And I do just want to touch, if you're enjoying this little special episode, I do have a few more lined up, so keep your eyes peeled, because there is one coming up with cyclists, talking about how we can handle cyclists better and be more respectful, one coming up with horse riders, the same thing, and a few of us along those lines as well. But that's everything I had uh, kind of penciled in to talk about regarding these highway code changes. Is there anything that you would like to add on to that, Chris? No,
1: I I think I'm hopefully finding out and we'll pass on to you as soon as I do when this is likely to hit the uh, theory test itself because I, I don't think it's going to appear too soon so I think you know um, that it, it's about knowing it so you're ready when it does come up but a lot of it's in there already uh, not turning left in front of a cyclist you know so if there's a cyclist and there's a junction you don't overtake the cyclist and, and turn in front of them that's been in there for a, a long time so there's not as many changes to to worry about uh, they're things that you'll feel really natural and, and will feel right um it'll just be nice that everybody else is on the same page as the rest of us um when they pick up that highway code so yeah i think that's the, the biggest thing for me the, the rest of it you know it comes down to to my two primary rules of don't hit stuff and be predictable um always <laughs> oh, so good advice it works it works
0: <laughs> um Okay, cool. Uh, The other thing I'm going to just add on to that is that if you've got any concerns, uh, if maybe we haven't explained this so that it makes sense, or you've got any concerns about about any of the other changes, ask someone. uh, And ask someone that knows. Now, no offence to anyone, but it might be that your granddad doesn't know as well as a driving instructor or as well as, you know, potentially a traffic police officer. You know, so if you've got any concerns, get in touch with someone and ask, uh, you can find me easy enough. And I'm sure that Chris will happily help as well. And his details will be in the show notes. So before we disappear, Chris, do you want to tell all of my lovely listeners um, what you have to offer, how you can help them with their theory test and where they can best find you?
1: Sure. I am uh, theory test explained because that's what I do. I cover the understanding of it. I I get very frustrated, as I know Terry does, about the fact we revise what you haven't learned yet. So, you know, it's about... I, I use one-to-one Zoom sessions and I, and I teach it and we discuss it and figure out what you don't know and uh, make sure that by the end of it you do and you understand it. So that that's my focus. Um, I'm fed up with working with people who have failed 12 times before they've come and sought help. So, you know, prep the first time. It's expensive otherwise. Um, uh, but I also offer additional accommodation support uh it also gets called sen support Uh, for anyone who's got additional needs there's help available and it's not very well explained by the dvsa so i i point people in the right direction a lot with what's available and what they can they can get to help them through it so uh, that that's my main focus um and i love the fact that there's so many more people doing theory support and theory learning inside of the industry so um you know Ask your driving instructor, see what they offer. Um, check out check out podcasts like Terry's. And, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to learn now, which is great.
0: Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and joining us today because it, it helps someone keep me on the right track when I'm trying to explain this stuff because it's easy to go off on the uh, these big tangents. And also, they're not that necessarily the easiest of rules and changes to understand, so it's helped nice for that. Um, yeah, really appreciate your time today. Always a pleasure or do I stop recording the five minute theory podcast bite-sized chunks of theory goodness to help you pass your theory test first time